This is Black Wall Street Chronicles, and we're back at it again. Uh, thank you for um, being patient for the next podcast um, episode. Uh, currently, my laptop, where I do my recordings, are on. It's currently going through some maintenance, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to do my podcast directly uh, to the cell phone. So, if there's any sound quality problems, I'm very sorry. Uh, uh, today, in this episode of my podcast, I'm going to talk about the great, uh, uh, the great soul singer Samuel Cook. Uh, Samuel Cook was considered to be the king of soul music, and he was responsible for putting a lot of black people on. And he was very adamant during the Civil Rights Movement. And before we get started on this episode, I'll do some announcements. Yeah. So, uh, if you guys cannot listen to my podcast on uh, Spotify, and you can't listen to my podcast on Apple, and you're not able to afford it, I am registered on the New York City Podcast Network. It's the New York City Podcast Net New York City Podcast Network dot com. If you type in Black Wall Street Chronicles, I should be on it. Also, my Instagram is BlackHage840. If you go to my Instagram, you'll see my bios. Um, you go on my bios on my Instagram, it basically has all of my information where you can follow me. Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. Okay. Now, let's get on with the Sam Cooke episode. Samuel Cooke, known professionally as Sam Cooke, was an American singer, songwriter, and entrepreneur. Considered to be a pioneer of the genre of and one of the most influential soul artists of all time. Cook is commonly referred as the King of Soul for his distinctive vocals, notable contributions to the genre, and high significance in popular music. Cook was born in Mississippi and later relocated to Chicago with his family at a young age, where he became singing as a child and joined his soul stirrers as the lead singer in the 1950s. Going solo in 1957, Cook released a string of hit songs, including You Send Me, A Change Is Gonna Come, Cupid, Wonderful World, Chain Gang, Twisting the Night Away, Bringing It Home to Me, and Good Times. During his eight-year career, Sam Cook released singles that charted to the top 40 of the Billboard Pop Singles Chart, as well as the 20 singles in the top 10 Billboard Black Singles Chart. In 1964, Cook was shot and killed by the manager of a hotel in Los Angeles. In an inquest and investigation, the courts ruled Cook's death to be a justifiable homicide. His family has since questioned the circumstances of his death. Cook's pioneering contributions to soul music contributed to the rise of Aretha Franklin, Bobby Walmike, Al Green, Curtis Mayfield, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, and Billy Preston, and popularized the work of Otis Redding and James Brown. All music biographer Bruce Elder wrote that Cook was the inventor of soul music and possessed an incredible natural singing voice and a smooth, effortless delivery that has never been surpassed. Cook was also a central part of the civil rights movement, using his influence and popularity with the white and black population to fight for the cause. 
He was good friends with boxer Muhammad Ali, activist Malcolm X, and football player Jim Brown, together campaigning for racial equality. This friendship was explored and played film One Light in Miami. Samuel Cook was born in Clarksdale, Mississippi in 1931. He was the fifth of eight children of the Reverend Charles Cook, a minister in the Church of Christ of Holiness, and his wife Annie May. One of the younger brothers later became a member of the doo band Johnny Keys and In That Magnificence. The family moved to Chicago in 1933. Cook attended Doolittle Elementary and Wendell Phillips Academy High School in Chicago, the same school that Nat King Cole had attended a few years earlier. Sam Cook began his career with his siblings in a group called The Singing Children when he was six years old. He became a lean singer in the Highway QCs when he was a teenager, having joined the group at the age of 14. During this time, Cook befriended a fellow gospel singer and neighbor, Lou Rawls, who sang in a rival gospel group. In 1950, Cook replaced gospel tenor R.H. Harris as the lead singer of a gospel group, The Stoll Stringers, founded by Harris, who was signed with specialty records on the half of the group. The first recording on the Cook's leadership was the song, Jesus Gave Me Water, in 1951. They also recorded the gospel songs Peace in the Valley and How Far I Am from Canon, Jesus Paid to Death, and One More River, among many others, some of which he wrote. Cook was often credited for bringing gospel music to the attention of a young crowd of listeners, mainly girls who would rush to the stage when soul strutters hit the stage just to get a glimpse of Cook. Billboard's 2015 lists the greatest 35 greatest R&B artists of all time includes Cook, who broke ground in 1957 with the R&B pop-over crossover hit You Send Me, and his activism on civil rights front resulted in a quiet protest song and change is going to come. Cook had 30 U.S. top 40 hits between 1957 and 1964, plus three more posthumously major hits like You Send Me, A Change Is Gonna Come, Cupid, Chain Gang, Wonderful World, Another Saturday Night, and Twisting the Night Away are some of his most popular songs. Twisting the Light Away was one of his biggest selling albums. Cook was one of the most first modern black performers and composers to attend the business side of his music career. He founded a record label and a publishing company as an extension of his careers as a singer and a composer. He also took an active part in the civil rights movement. His first pop soul singer was Lovable, a remake of gospel song Wonderful. It was released under the alias Dale Cook in order not to alienate his gospel fan base. There was a considerable stigma around gospel singers performing secular music. However, it fooled no one. Cook's unique and distinctive vocals was easily recognized. Art Roop, head of specialty records to label the soul writers, gave his blessing for Cook to record circular music under his real name. But he was unhappy with the type of music Cook and producer Bump Backwell were making. Roops expected Cook's circular mood to be similar of another specialty record artist, Little Richard. When Roop walked in on the recording session and heard Cook covering Gershon, he was quite upset. After an argument between Roop and Backwell, Cook and Backwell left the label. Lovable was never a hit, but neither did it flop and indicated Cook's future potential. While gospel was popular, Cook saw their fans mostly limited to low-income rural parts of the country. 
and sought to branch out. Cook later admitted he got an endorsement for a career in pop music was from the least likely man, his pastoral father. My father told me it was not what I sang but was important, but the God gave me a voice and musical talent and the true use of his gifts was to share it and make people happy. Taking the name Sam Cooke, he started a fresh start in pop. In 1957, Cooke appeared on ABC, The Guy Mitchell Show. The same year he signed with King Records, his first hit, You Send Me. It was released as a B-side, Summertime, spent six weeks at number one on the Billboard R&B chart. The song had mainstream success, spending three weeks on number one on the Billboard pop chart. 1958, Cook performed for the famed Calvagate of a Jazz Concert produced by Leon Hefford Sr., held at the Strine Auditorium on August 3rd. The other headliners were Little Willie John, Ray Charles, Erling Freeman, and Bo Rambo. Sammy Davis Jr. was there to crown the winner of the Miss Calvagate of Jazz Beauty Contest. The event fe- featured the top four prominent disc jockey of Los Angeles. Cook signed with the R.C. Victor record label in January 1960, having been offered guaranteed $100,000 equivalent in $80,000, $60,000 in 2019 by the label's producers Hugo and Luigi. One of his first R.C. Victor singles was Chain Gang, which released number two on the Billboard pop chart. It was followed by more hits including Sad Mute, Cupid, Bring It Home to Me, with Lou Rawls on the backing vocals. Another Saturday night in Twisting the Night Away. In 1961, Cook started his own record label, Sar Records, with J.W. Alexander and his manager, Roy Cron. The labor soon included the Sims Twins, the Valentinos, Mel Garner, and Johnny Taylor. Cook then created a publishing imprint and management firm named CAGS. Like most R&B artists of the time, Cook focused on singles and um, he had 29 pop top 40 hits on the pop charts and more on the R&B charts. He was a prolific songwriter and wrote most of his songs he recorded. He also had a hand in overseeing some of the song arrangements. In spite of the releasing mostly singles, he released a well-received blues-infected LP in 1963, Nightbeat, in his most critically acclaimed studio album, Ain't That Good News?, which featured five singles in 1964. In 1963, Cook signed a five-year contract with Alan King to manage CAG's music and Saw Records to make him his manager. Klein negotiated a five-year deal, three years plus two option years, with RCA Victor in which a holding company, Tracy Limited, named after Cook's daughter, owned by Klein and managed by J.W. Alexander, were produced and owned Cook's recordings. RCA Victor were getting exclusive distribution rights in exchange of 6% royalty payments and payments for recording section. For tax reasons, Cook received preferred stock in Tracy instead of initial cash advance of 100000 Cook will receive cash advantages for 100000 for the next two years, followed by an additional 75000 for each of the two option years if he wanted one to term. Cook was married twice. His first marriage was to singer-dancer Dolores Elizabeth Mulligan Cook, who took the stage name D.D. Mohawk in 1953. They divorced in 1958. She was killed in an auto collision in Fresno, California in 1959. 
Although he and Dolores was divorced, Cook paid for his wife's ex-funeral was expensive. She was survived by her son, Joey. In 1958, Cook married his second wife, Barbara Campbell, in Chicago. His former performed the ceremony. They had three children, Linda, Tracy, and Vincent. Drowned in the family swimming pool. Less than three months after Cook's death, his widow married his friend, Bobby Walmack. Walmack sexually abused Cook's daughter, Linda. Linda married Walmack's brother, Silly Walmack, and they became duo Walmack and Walmack. Cook also fathered three other children out of Redlock. In 1958, a woman in Philadelphia, Colleen Bullen, claimed that Cook was the father of her son. Cook paid an estimated $5,000 settlement out of court. In November 1958, Cook was involved in a car accident en route from St. Louis to Greenville. His chauffeur, Edward Cunningham, was killed while Cook guitarist Cliff Wright and singer Lou Rawls were hospitalized. Cook was killed at the age of 33 on December 11, 1964 at the Hesedinia Motel in Los Angeles, California. Answering separate reports of a shooting and kidnapping in the motel, police found Cook's corpse. He had sustained a gunshot wound to the chest, which was later determined to appear his heart. The hotel manager, Bertha Franklin, claimed to have shot him in self-defense. His account was immediately disputed by Cook's acquaintances. The official police record states that Franklin fatally shot Cook, who had checked in earlier that evening. Franklin said that Cook had banged on the door in the office. Where's the girl? Franklin shouted back that there was no one in her office except herself. But the enraged Cook did not believe her and forced his way into the office, naked except for one shoe and a sports jacket. He grabbed her, demanded again to know the woman's whereabouts. According to Franklin, she grappled with Cook. Two of them fell on the floor, and she got up to retrain to retrieve a gun. Then she fired at Cook in self-defense because she feared for her life. Cook was drunk once in the torso. According to Franklin, he said, Lady, you shot me, in a tone expressed perplexity rather than anger. Before advancing to her again, she hit him in the head with a broomstick, and he finally fell to the floor and died. The hotel owner, Evelyn Carr, said that she'd been on the phone with Franklin at the time of the incident. Carr says she overheard Cook's intrusion in an ensuing conflict or gunshot. She called the police to request that officers go to the motel, telling them that she believed a shooting had occurred. A coroner's inquest was convened to investigate the incident. The woman who had accompanied Cook to the motel was identified as Elisa Borah, who had called the police just several minutes before Carr had. Borah had called her a telephone booth near the motel. Boyer told police she first had met Cook earlier that night and spent the evening in his company. She said that she, after they left the local nightclub together, she had repeatedly requested to take her home, but instead took her against the will to the Hasten Dinner Motel. She said that once in the hotel rooms, Cook physically forced her into the bed and just stripped her to her panties. She said that she was sure was going to rape her. Cook allowed her to use the bathroom from which she attempted to escape but found that the window was firmly shut. According to Boher, she returned to the rain room where Cook continued to molest her. When she used the bathroom, she quickly grabbed her toes and ran from the room. She said that in her haste, she also scooped up most of Cook's clothing by mistake. She said she ran to the manager's office and knocked on the door seeking help. However, she said the manager took too long to respond. Fear of what Cook would be coming after her, she fled from the hotel before the manager opened the door. 
She said she then put her clothes back on, his book coughing, went to the telephone booth, and called the police. Boris Stoney is the only account of what happened between Hook and Cook that night. However, her story has been logged and called into question. Inconsistencies between her version of it and the details reported by diners at Matoni's restaurant, where Cook dined and drank early in the evening, suggests that Boyer may have gone willingly to the motel with Cook, then slip out of the room was coving to rob him rather than escape an attempted rape. Cook was reportedly carrying a large amount of money at Matoni's. According to the restaurant police and friends, however, a search of Boyer's purse by the police Revealed nothing except a $20 bill in search of Cook's Ferrari, followed only a money kit while 108 in a few loose coins. However, questions about Boyer's role were beyond the scope of the inquest, the purpose of which only to establish the circumstances of Franklin's role in the shooting. Boyer leaving the motel room was also all of the Cook's clothing and the fact that tests showed Cook was inebriated at the time. Providing a plausible explanation to the inquest jurors for Cook's bizarre behavior and state of unrest. In addition, because Carr's testimony corroborated Franklin versions of events, because both Boyer and Franklin later passed polygraph tests, the coroner's acceptly Franklin's explanation for turning verdict a justifiable homicide, which verdict authorities officially calls in the case of Cook's death. Some of Cook's family and supporters, however, reject the boys' versions of the events, as well as those given by Franklin and Carr. They believe that a conspiracy to murder Cook and a murder took place in some manner entirely different from the three official accounts. Sid and Edda James viewed Cook's body before his funeral and questioned the accuracy of the official version of events. She wrote that the injuries observed well beyond official account of Cook or bought Franklin alone. James wrote that Cook was so badly beating that his head was nearly separated from his shoulders, his hand was crushed and broken, and his nose mangled. Some people have speculated that Cook's manager, Aline King, might have rolled in his death, cleaned on Tracy Limited, which ultimately owned the rights of Cook's recordings. No concrete evidence supporting criminal conspiracy has been presented to date. The first funeral service for Cook was held on December 18, 1964 at A.R. Leak Funeral Home in Chicago. 200,000 fans lined up for more than four city blocks to view his body. Afterward, his body was flown back to Los Angeles for a second service at the St. Mount Sinai Baptist Church on December 19, which included a much heralded performance of Angels Keep Watching Over Me by Ray Charles, who stood for grief-stricken Bessie Griffin. Cook was in at Forest Lawn Memorial Park Cemetery in Glendale, California. Two singles and an album were released in a month after his death. One single, Shake, reached the number one spot for R&B albums. Bertha Franklin says she received numerous death threats after shooting Cook. She left her position at the Encinal Motel and did not publicly disclose where she had moved. After being cleared by the coroner's jury, she sued Cook's estate, citing physical injuries and mental anguish suffered as a result of Cook's attack. A lawsuit, 200000 in compromise and punitive damage. Barbara Walmack condescended Franklin on the behalf of the estate, seeking $7,000 in damages to cover Cook's funeral expenses. 
Lisa Boyle provide testimony to support Franklin in the case. The jury ruled in favor of Franklin on both accounts, awarding her $30,000 in damages. It was later revealed that Bertha Franklin moved to Michigan, but never disclosed what her new career was. She died of coronary artery disease in 1989. In 1979, Elsa Boyer was found guilty of second-degree murder and death of her boyfriend and sentenced to 25 to life imprisonment. Her conviction regained interest in the Sam Cooke case and gave fuel to conspiracy theories about his death. Yeah, so Lisa Boyer was a murderer. Hmm. This was portrayed by Paul Mooney in a Buddy Holly story. 1970 American biography film, which tells the story of rock musician Buddy Hardy. In the stage play One Night in Miami, first performed in 2013, Cook is portrayed by Anise King. In the 2020 film adaptation, he is played by Leslie Autumn Jr. Posthumous honors. In 1986, Cook was inducted as a charter member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In 1987, Cook was inducted to the Songwriters Hall of Fame. In 1989, Cook was inducted to the second time to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when the Soul Stars was included. On February 1, 1994, Cook received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his contributions to the music industry located on 751 Hollywood Boulevard. Although Cook never won a Grammy Award, he received a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1999. Presented by Larry Buckman of Funk Supergroup Cameo. 2004 Rolling Stone ranked Cook 16th in his list of 100 Greatest Artists of All Time. In 2008, Cook was named the fourth greatest singer of all time by Rolling Stone. In 2008, Cook received the first plaque on the Clarksdale Walk of Fame located at the New Roxy Theater. 2009, Cook was honored with a marker on Mississippi Blues Trail in Clarksdale. In June 2011, the city of Chicago renamed the portion of East 36th Street near Cottage Grove Avenue as the honorary Sam Cookway to remember the singer near a corner where he hung out and sang as a teenager. 2013, Cook was inducted to the National Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio, at Cleveland State University. The founder of the National Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame Museum, Lamont Robinson, said he was the greatest singer to ever sing. Sam Cooke quote, A Change Is Gonna Come, is on a raw quote as a space of reflection in the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. The museum opened in 2016. Cook is inducted into the Mississippi Musicians Hall of Fame. Here's his discography. Sam Cooke, 1958. Encore, 1958. Tribute to the Lady, 1959. Cooke's Tour, 1960. Twisting the Night Away, 1962, Mr. Soul, 1963, Night Beat, 1963, Ain't That Good Is, 1964, Sam Cooke at the Copa, 1964. Okay, and that is The Life and Times of Sam Cooke, The King of Soul.
And the reason why we in Black Wall Street Chronicles is talking about Sam Cooke, because Sam Cooke is an example of activism of ownership. Okay, another way that a black person can be an activist is just having ownership of your own stuff, owning your own publishing company, owning your own business. Okay, thank you again. This is Jeffrey Frazier of Black Wall Street Chronicles signing off.